Hey everyone, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. It is so good to be back after a season break with a brand new series and a whole host of incredible guests. Today we're kicking off with Chris Lovett, the author of Discovery of Less, how I found everything I wanted under everything I owned. We're going to be talking about minimalist living, simplicity and the attitude and the mindset of how living with less can really help us to live more. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm certainly not going to say that I live a minimalist lifestyle. I don't. I I admit, I confess that I love to consume. I do. I love to shop. I love things. But I also love the attitude, the philosophy, the approach to really thinking about living intentionally, less busyness, less stress, less commitments, less to-dos and more freedom, more time more adventure and more life. So let's dive into this week's conversation with Chris Lovett. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Chris, love it. Welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Adrian. It's lovely to be here. Really looking forward to this conversation. I think it is very timely, but certainly is for me. And today we are going to talk about minimalism, simplicity, and how living with less can in fact allow us to live more. So before we dive into all of that, Chris, could you kick it off by telling us, firstly, do you consider yourself a minimalist and what is your definition of minimalism? I do consider myself a minimalist, yeah self-proclaimed i suppose um yeah but minimalism to me is is almost a little bit like voluntarily simplifying it's almost about trying to achieve your life's goals without the need for excess stuff and and really i fluked it you know i uh the plan was for me to go traveling but i couldn't take all my stuff with me so i actually sold a couple of bits and pieces in order to get a bit of money back basically so I could mm. afford to go traveling and I stumbled across how good decluttering felt and I took it from that activity to a way of living so so yeah I I make conscious choices now with the things that I buy how many projects I get involved with how much work I do etc so the whole way I live is a bit minimalist I suppose but it's my version so yeah I do kind of consider myself a, a bit of a minimalist yeah, and, and so looping back a little bit, how old were you when you first discovered this, when you decided to, yeah, sell some stuff and get ready for this trip and, and go with less? And when you started, yeah, I suppose maybe did you think it was going to be a short-term thing? What we, what was your life like before? Cluttered. <laughs> cluttered. Busy, chaotic, cluttered. Um, about 35, I was, Um People can look me up, and I know I don't look that old. Uh, it's the moisturising, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, about mid thirties. So I'd had a considerable amount of time collecting stuff and building a certain identity of what type of person I was and where I worked and the things I did. So 
you know, over those decades and being a you know, fully-fledged adult, potentially living in different places, you accumulate a lot of stuff. And that tended to build up a bit of an identity for me. You know, oh, Chris loves films. Oh, Chris loves video games. Or Chris loves clothes. And so by getting rid of those things, it was almost a little bit like changing your identity. But when you're in your mid-30s, you've almost spent, you know, your teenage years, your early 20s, your 30s, trying to define who you are. And you kind of finally found who I am. And then you try and get rid of it all. I have to redefine who you are again. So, yeah, about mid-30s, I was... Um, stumbled across this decluttering activity and then that led to me getting rid of everything pretty much selling off everything I ever owned uh, quitting a job that was reasonably good you know safe secure and then selling my home wow. people thought I'd lost a plot people thought yeah you don't do this Chris like what's the matter with you <laughs> like you're supposed to consume stuff you're supposed to collect stuff because generally that's how we're measured right or that's how we've used to think we were measured by how big your house was what car you had how much money you earned your status all that type mm. of stuff mm. um but i realized that actually none of that stuff really mattered to me anymore and so um so yeah so off i went gallivanting around the world and um come back a little bit of a minimalist Wow, it's super interesting. So much in there. The identity piece, I definitely think is is such a big one. You know, I think it's not just about what we think about ourselves, but it's also signaling to others. You know, like you said, what kind of clothes do you wear? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of things are you interested yeah. in? And we signal those things to others, but also brands brand you know branding in itself is essentially selling people a lifestyle or an idea. You know, it's not yeah, about yeah. selling someone a watch or a car or even now a drink a smoothie an energy drink it's about selling the person a lifestyle that says if you are this kind of person you drink this kind of drink or if you're this kind of person you wear these kind of trainers so we know that yeah. brands have under understand that psychology probably better than we do when it comes to identity so i'm definitely, yeah, definitely. i was definitely with you on the you know, getting rid of stuff and thinking, actually, I don't need all of this stuff. I don't need these things to define or to signal my identity. But where I think you lost me then was when you said I sold my home, because I think yeah. for a lot of people, <laughs> we're, we're seriously we're, like we're taught that, you know, I didn't, you know, my, I didn't grow up with uh, my mom didn't own her home. So I was the first person to, you know, to get a mortgage, to own my home. And I think we're all taught that that is a very safe and secure thing to do. And that in terms of your future and your wealth and finance, that, that actually owning a home is this kind of uh, real accolade or goal for people to have. So once you said, actually, I sold my home as well, that's like, mm. I think a whole nother level. So yeah, how did, how did you come to the conclusion that actually it's not just about clearing out your wardrobe or getting rid of some clutter, but actually selling your home as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, don't worry, it wasn't just you that I lost. <laughs> doing that. Um, yeah, I suppose, and that's a kind of key thing around this whole minimalist concept and the mindset. It's so individualistic that actually if things don't agree with or align with your values, um, then that's it's your choice you don't have to do any of these things you know it's a it's the person you are and the values that you have but for me at that moment in my life going traveling was the goal so stepping away from the life that i had built before and letting all of that go to do something very very different required me to let go of a lot of stuff and logistically i was thinking if i so i had a flat right just a two-bed flat in south london and i was thinking right if i go away for a year I could rent that out, but then what would happen if the tenant doesn't pay or what happens if 
there's a leak and I, and I need to sort stuff out. And I was almost thinking like, how can I make it work to keep my home so I could go back there when I return? But actually everything that was I was trying to plan got in the way of me enjoying not being in the UK. You know, it was almost like, how do I let go of everything? All of the attachments I had to home so I could go and really embrace different cultures and different countries and different climates and all of that stuff. And and the decision was to sell it. And so it was almost like, you know, you know, when you have a key ring, right? And you have your car key, you have your house key, people at work have got like a desk key and things like that. They are generally a, a view of how much you have in life. And when I didn't have any keys, that mm. was that moment when I, I was like, what am I doing? Um, I don't have any keys to anything, so I don't own anything. But actually, it was also, at the same time, so exciting because it was almost like, right, I can hit reset on my life now and start to design it the way I want. Maybe I could live somewhere else. Maybe I could you know, use the money from the sale to do something else. And so it was almost a little bit like I can redesign a life now on my terms and I can become the architect rather than have it predetermined by my old identity so i used to, i lived in south london all my life i grew up there i worked there i lived there and and so that was my identity there and because i was attached to that area i never really went anywhere else mm. so i couldn't tell you what was north of the m25 <laughs> so i wouldn't know <laughs> so um to remove all of that attachment the house the, the flat was just part of that yeah yeah, it's fascinating. And actually, I was thinking as you described that about when you said about returning, it made me think of, I guess, by keeping the, the flat maybe and going off and maybe, yeah, you get it rented out or whatever. It's like an anchor that you know is still there that you can return to, which, of course, has its benefit. But I can imagine, yeah, yeah that feeling of of really stepping out and, and and maybe not knowing when or where or how or if you would even come back at all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind of scary slash exciting part. Um, so, yeah, I went away and had, had a budget. So once that budget ran out, it was almost a case of, well, what do I do? Do I come back? And do I start to design a new way of living, a new, uh, you know, a new career? Everything. And so, mm. so I did that. So I came back, and I was fortunate enough that my mum and dad put me up, put me and my partner up for, like, six months whilst... Um, I look, looked for somewhere else to live and somewhere else to work and, and things like that. And during the time that I was actually staying at my mum and dad's, as a 30, was off back 37 by the time I come back, you know, a 37-year-old man living with his parents, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's not worry, It's um, not all upside, is it? I mean, I couldn't it, live with my mum now <laughs> for a that's week. That's it. Yeah, I, I hear you, right? So after a, few, after a few weeks, I was like, wow, this is going to be a long, <laughs> long period of time. Um, but during staying with them i really understood about the generation before us mm. and how they dealt with stuff and so actually staying with them for that period of time helped me build a bigger picture about what parents feel like when they you know consume and and collect stuff and my mum and dad are the worst for collecting and holding on to stuff and so over that period, I helped them kind of understand what decluttering was and ask themselves some questions around, do they need to keep this Lego that me and my brother were playing with when we were 
six or seven that stuck mm. in the loft. So, and it actually then formed a huge part of the book. And so I look back on that as a, you know, you know, when they're not here anymore, I get to look back on that and go, I spent some amazing time with my folks as an adult mm. and we also achieved quite a lot together. So, mm. um, yeah, it, although in the moment it has its annoyances <laughs> of living <laughs> sure. with your folks, but, you know, looking back, I'll treasure that. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. Well, there's a lot of things, actually. I feel like this conversation, I've got so many questions for you, Chris. But where <laughs> I want to go next is about the possessions part, because often when people think about minimalism, that's the first thing they think of is, okay, you know, an empty-ish looking space, maybe white walls, you know, maybe just one yeah. chair, maybe a, a lamp. And the idea of minimalism, often for a lot of people, they think about getting rid of possessions, living with minimal or living with only what's essential. And so the possessions, thing I think is I guess I'd love to explore that a little bit because as someone who loves the attitude of the minimalist approach and less is better and having less uh, distractions less worries less things on my to-do list less rushing I always say I want you know more freedom more time more living but the problem is Chris I like stuff I like shopping. I like shopping. I like shopping online. I like walking around shops. I like buying on clothes. I like buying a new pair of shoes or a new pair of sandals when I'm going on a trip. So I feel like there's this definite conflict, which I'm sure a lot of other people have around the concept of minimalism and the reality if you like stuff. So yeah, as consumers, I guess what's going on there with the possessions? Why do we like to buy and consume? And why does it feel so good? Yeah, uh, it's uh, and, you know I'm not immune, Adrian. I <laughs> I like stuff too, right? And again, it's it's because it's so individualistic. I've designed the way I live, the way I work, the way I consume, adverts, buy stuff. It's designed for me based on what I want to achieve in in my my present time and the future as well. So, of course, I I had a huge collection of Converse trainers, right? And you know, like almost every colour of the rainbow. But I never really wore many of them. I didn't really move too far outside of uh, a few. Um, and so letting go of those uh, trainers made me kind of think, well, in the future, how many do I need? And so it became a case of what do I need to achieve the things that I want to achieve rather than what do I want just because I can? Yeah. And so it came, it came about what stuff do I need around me to be able to live the way I want to live and what stuff really adds value to my life. So even things like paintings or books or things like that, if it added value to my life and I really got value and, and love from it, oh yeah, I kept it. And I still buy books and you know I still have to buy shirts and things like that. But I'm more conscious now about where I buy stuff and how much of it I buy. So I don't have all white walls i don't have just one chair or you know no mattress or just sleep on the floor i have generally you know what most other people have i have a bed i have sofas i have a tv i have you know tech but i don't have excess Mm. and so i have enough to be able to do the things i want to do and need to do and um and the rest of it I can bring in, but then also potentially let it go if it's not being used. So um, I have a, a couple of rules where I, I tend to bring stuff in over the time. So uh, clothes, 
again for example because i know you're a clothes fan right so <laughs> if i bring in a shirt and then after a couple of months i think i really don't think that fits well or you know body composition's changed or fashion show whatever it is i'll let it go so rather than potentially creating a scenario into the future but i say well if i keep it just in case i do x y z or i go here or i lose weight or whatever i kind of preempt that and i let someone else have it and that kind of a feeling of letting someone else have my stuff that i'm not using and they can get love from it mm. gives me just as much value as going out and buying something so rather than chasing that dopamine high which is that shopper's high that you yeah. might be searching for um, it's almost for me it's the reverse so i get my dopamine high by adding value to people's lives and whether that is with a thing or whether that is with doing a talk or helping out with coaching or something i get my highs in a slightly different way and so um and it's interesting because once you start decluttering and you might have found this it, it can become quite addictive because yeah. sometimes if you if you sell stuff and you start to see a little bit of pocket money coming in you're like oh what else can i sell <laughs> what else am i not using and so actually that same dopamine hit that we get with the shoppers high with when someone likes our instagram post when someone follows us on social media it's the same chemical cocktail so we get the same feeling potentially by doing it in reverse so that is how yeah. i kind of look after stuff but yeah i don't have a number some people like to have 50 things only but um that's their version of minimalism that's their way of living and yeah. but I'm just a bit of a normal guy, really, just with just minimalist slant, so I don't have a number. I like I like that the, the dopamine part potentially is what's happening there when you do get that urge or feeling of, oh, it's nice to just yeah walk around the shops and buy something, or it's nice to scroll through a website online and order something and click, click, and you know it's going to arrive tomorrow. Like you say, that dopamine hit yeah. that we get is so... Yeah. It's so real, you know, it's a real feeling. It's chemical in the brain. It's a real uh, addiction for a lot of people. And actually, when you just described then about uh, how good it feels to get rid of stuff, the only time in my life that really, that really stands out uh, that I can remember is when, before I moved into this house, I'd lived in the previous house for about eight or nine years and that's where my son was born yeah. and that's where I'd had a lot of things happen in my life, which, as I'm sure in, in nine years, lots does happen. And in yeah. that time, I'd... I'd been trying to have another baby and I'd actually had a miscarriage. And I remember I had so wow. much, I had so much uh, maternity clothes. Most of them were quite new. Some of them still had tags on actually maternity dress or maternity things that like you say, I was keeping because one day I was thinking when I'm pregnant yeah. again, I'm going to wear that. Yeah. So I kept all these things. And I also had uh, a pushchair that I'd, I think I'd actually won it. It's quite funny, but I'd won this mummers and papas pushchair in a competition. So it was still in the box, yeah. unopened. And I kept it yeah. because as I say, every year I was hoping I'm going to get pregnant. And then yeah. when we moved out of that house and moved to this house, obviously when you're moving, I think that's the, probably the time when most people declutter their lives. So you go through, yeah, yeah, the drawers and the books and you throw away things. And and I had a real moment where I sat with this stuff and I thought, are you going to take this with you to the new house? You know, mm. along with the hope and the, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess, the yeah, the hope that one day you'll need it. Or, as you just described, is there somebody who would really benefit from this? You know, could somebody, for example, if you donated this to a charity shop, could somebody who maybe already is pregnant and maybe mm. can't afford to go and buy a brand new Mamas and Papas pushchair, maybe they're going to get the, you know, maybe they really need it or you could donate it to a women's shelter or a nursery. 
So that's yeah. what I did. And I, you know, it wasn't an easy thing to do because I do think it was quite symbolic, you know, at the time of me thinking maybe part of me was kind of giving up a little bit on that future dream. But what I told myself was actually, if in the future you're blessed and enough to be pregnant again, you will be able to go and buy what you need and you're fortunate enough mm. that you'll be able to get it. So I gave that stuff away and, you know, I didn't, you know, never thought about it again, really. I didn't regret it. I didn't, I certainly didn't miss it. And actually, yeah. I think, you know, it's not an easy thing to you know, on a, I guess on a daily or a weekly basis, we probably live with the things that we live with. And like I said, I love, you know, the the books that I've that I've got on the shelf or I love having, I've got a lot of plants in the house or yeah, like you said, mm. I, might, like, I like dresses and I buy things. But actually that was a time when keeping something wasn't actually serving me or making me feel good, actually. I think it was kind of a reminder actually of, of you know, what a future life that I didn't have and giving it away really did strangely feel really good. Well, there you go. I mean, what a wonderful story, and and it's interesting that you've you picked up on the, the the symbolism of something, and how we put so much value on you know, potential like inanimate objects, and they become way more valuable than potentially they ever were. So there's there's loads and loads of psychology and experiments around the value of items and there's one that people can look up around the value of basketball tickets so this was done in a like a an experiment in america where someone had bought basketball tickets to like a college final and because they were theirs because they had ownership of those things the value to them increased massively but when they were said oh can you sell them now they said well yeah i'd, I'd sell them but i'd sell them for a huge profit because they were worth more to that one person but to everybody else they were just worth the ticket value mm. but to that one person who took ownership of those things they were worth so much more and you know i i try and and i try and break it down in, into a little bit of a little bit of fun a little bit of light-heartedness because we can come across a lot of emotional attachment to things and you know there's a there's a story and this is Everything I write in this book is 100% true, right? Even the failings and the, the comedy that at that time didn't feel funny, but you look back on it, it was kind of funny. I had two chubby hats, right? <laughs> and I thought, when I go travelling, I, I see myself in New Orleans in a jazz bar having a cocktail with my chubby hat on, right? So I've, I have manifested, well, not manifested it, I created from nowhere this picture of me Right. And so I thought, right, when I pack my stuff, I'm going to take these trilby hats. And my partner's looking at me going, you ain't worn them hats for about 10 years. <laughs> I've never seen you wear a hat before. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've never seen you wear that hat. Right. It's got a little it's got a little fake carnation in the side of it and a feather. And I was like, yeah, but you know, was this early you, you know, was this early 2000s, 2010? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Well, that's when I bought it. Yeah, I think. Um, and. I kind of looked at these things it, with a kind of a little bit of a rational mindset. I'm like, but but am I really going to wear these things? Like, does it really matter if I go to the same jazz bar, sip a cocktail, and I'm not wearing a hat? Like, is is my experience going to be any less if I don't take the hat? And generally, Adrian, it was for hours. I was sitting with my backpack going. What can I get rid of so I can put my hats in? <laughs> what can I? Can I what about the first aid kit? If I don't take the first aid <laughs> Do you need kit, that? I can. Yeah, yeah, right. And in the end, I left them behind, and we, you know, within minutes, I'd forgotten about them, and mm. you know, it didn't, it, it didn't um, affect 
my experience at all. But it was just interesting to note that I had that attachment to these hats because I'd pictured myself in this position. Mm. Yeah, we can, you know, we shouldn't even, I guess we're kind of laughing about it, as you said, but these things can be, our things can be really Mm. important or symbolic. And actually, I'm sure people probably ask you, what about sentimental value? Now, I guess in contrast to the, the last story that I told, I guess, ironically, I don't see myself as that much of a sentimental person. So I don't have things from my childhood. I don't have, you know, boxes of, I don't know, old photos or or maybe photos is probably the exception actually but I don't have boxes yeah. of stuff from when I was young I think because you know we moved house a lot I don't even have boxes of stuff from my own son so he's 10 now and I know that for example when they come out of school at the end of term every year where especially when they're little they come out of school with their arms full of you know drawings <laughs> yeah. they've done and paintings and pieces of you yeah. know things they've made and of course you're like oh it's wonderful it's brilliant you know sometimes you yep. don't know what it is yep. but you say oh that looks beautiful and there's some christmas decorations that we've got hanging every year we put them on the tree but they yeah some of them are great some of them just look like a a, a scrunched up cardboard but i didn't it's all oh yeah you see macaroni stuck on uh glitter that falls (laughs) off and the thing is honestly i feel like some parents are literally gonna think i have a heart of stone but i do not keep all that (laughs) stuff i don't keep Mm. it i'm really sorry to say i don't keep it so i don't have like this kind of sentimental like oh my gosh but your child made that with their own sticky like gluey hand so for people that talk a lot about sentimental value that's often their rationale for saying well I can't possibly get rid of this stuff even if as you described with your parents even if your children are adult and you have a garage full of stuff why Mm. do we find it so hard to let go of that stuff and is it just actually if it's sentimental value and it's really is it worth keeping it? What do you think? Yeah, it's a. This is a sticky point. Uh, no pun intended with all the, the kid <laughs> gifts, by the way. Um, yeah, I think it's all linked back to how do you trigger a good feeling or a memory, and that's generally why we tend to keep the sentimental stuff because it takes us back to a time that we enjoyed. So whether it's the smell of something or whether it's touching something or or a picture in a frame, it takes us back to a time that we were happy or we were enjoyed something. And that's great, right? So it's worth noting that the actual memory of those things is is twofold here. The memory of those things is going to be slightly distorted because our memories generally are. Mm. We get distorted over time. So we may remember some things that are more happier than they really were or vice versa. Mm. And actually, the the memories of the things are stored in our brain. They're stored in our hippocampus, right? So they're not stored in a bit of paper or in a frame or in a vase. But that thing triggers the thing. The thing triggers the memory. It triggers that feeling. So that's why we tend to keep those sentimental items. And at the end of the day, if it adds value to your life, keep it. You know, I, I do have a few sentimental items. You know, my, my parents are very, very sentimental and, you know, trying to kind of coach them through letting go of some of that was that they weren't interested. They were just wanting to keep old blankets and all sorts and things like that. And, you know, you some people will have more uh, more connection with 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 other things based on life experiences. But what I've tended to do is take pictures of stuff. Yeah. So on my phone, I've got um, quite a few pictures of stuff that I've 
you know thought might have been sentimental but it triggered a memory so even like you know hanging out with friends at school so rather than keeping this huge you know picture of everyone at school that was in a frame that I was never going to put up anywhere you know just take a picture of it and so I've got that on my phone uh, and with other things as well I've taken pictures of and other other people have done done the same and by letting go of that sentimental item someone else has got use of it and they've mm. kept the memory so that's sometimes yeah. where there is a little bit of a sticking point but um i think the memory thing is really interesting because you're so right a lot of our memory is apparently 70 percent of our memory is is imagined as you said we see yeah. one thing and we kind of fill in the blanks but i think as well i guess maybe the digital world is enabling minimalism in a different way because as you described yeah. i'm someone who takes a lot of photos and a lot of videos so i've got yes. so many videos of yeah my son at all the different ages or you know swimming for the first you know holiday yeah, trip yeah, or yeah. whatever and as a result yeah. i think maybe that's why i'm not so okay i have to keep this for example i don't know this t-shirt or this pair of his baby shoes or whatever because yeah i think maybe we because we, we've got so many photos and videos maybe for generations before us there was more of a reason to keep the brooch or the the blanket whatever the thing is because yeah, yeah we yeah. maybe didn't have those those digital archives that we could look back on but yeah it's, it's really interesting stuff and as much as, you know, we're talking now around what things that are sentimental and we've talked a little bit about why we like to consume because of, you know, the dopamine. Yeah. I think I saw a video of you talking on Instagram about how as a nation, so in the UK, we yeah, have yeah. more stuff than anybody else. And we, we are so attached to it that actually we pay a lot of money to keep it in storage. So rather than getting rid of things, as we've described here and, and having less, we have a fear, I suppose, of, of getting rid of it. Or we think that in one day in the future, we might want it or we might use it. And yeah, yeah. we've all driven past those huge storage things, which I don't know how much they cost, but they're essentially just a, a big warehouse, right, where you can keep your stuff. so what's going on there why are we paying so much money to store so many things so that we can maybe even make space in our house for new better things yeah oh man i mean this this um i mean if we were going to invest in a business storage would be the one to the place to go because even now they're they're still buying up plots of land to build storage units for the people of of our country so we have we store more stuff than the rest of Europe. So, right. So we think about this back in 2021, when we got to the final of the Euros, you know, we just missed out by losing on penalties to Italy. Eurovision, generally, we're very, very average, right? But in Europe, we are the best at keeping stuff, right? So we are number one for holding stuff that a little bit longer than we, we, uh, than we really need to. And, this kind of revelation I saw in just some random piece of research and it was almost a little bit of an awakening. So Compare the Market did the research based on how much stuff we hold in places outside of our home. So they include like garages, sheds and then paid for storage units. So yeah, it was a really interesting piece of research for me, even though storage facilities maybe not the most interesting topic. I connected yeah, the dots, it, Adrian, that's what I did. 
Yeah, well, it's really powerful when you when you lay it out that way. And of course, you've written a book, Discovery of Less, how I found everything I wanted under everything I owned. So can you tell us a little bit about again, I think I can kind of gather why you wanted to write this book and who maybe you were writing it for. But what's the I guess, what is the hope for readers of that book? What is it that you want them to really take away from it? Yeah, well, the the kind of the message within it is around that we generally don't need stuff to be the best version of ourselves and and it's this story so there's, there's not a lot of how to in there because i believe you could just you can go on google and get like a top 10 list of how to do stuff but actually you know understanding the story that i kind of went through of a, a normal guy who had a an almost abnormal amount of stuff managed to what i managed to achieve once i got rid of it and actually looking back on it how much i'd cared for all of that stuff this DVD collection where I had doubles and video games I'd never played and how much I cared for all of that in the past and how much of an impact it has on me now is night and day. So, yeah, it's kind of a memoir. It's kind of a, a comedy. It's a little bit of a, um, a reawakening as such of understanding what potentially we can all achieve if we were uh, mm. to let go of the stuff that's holding us back. And that's that's from a physical aspect and a kind of a metaphorical one as well obviously the the mental clutter so yeah hopefully people can then be inspired and rewrite their own stories so i'm just a normal guy who wrote a story about a period of my life and hopefully people can read that and go you know what i've got a story to to tell as well wow and uh, hopefully they can tell their stories too yeah, and I love the idea of yeah rewriting it and actually saying what do you want it to be like today because it is you know we've talked about the things and the possessions and our attachment to them but it is so much more than just our things and I think what what appeals to me about the idea or the concept or the ideology is that I you know I said it at the start of this year actually so the last two years had been busy and it's funny because even with the pandemic the last two years had been very busy for me you know work was busy yeah, yeah. I was homeschooling my son I was writing my first book I was doing this show Amazing. I you know yeah. I do a lot of talks and all sorts of stuff was going on and it was busy 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 and actually I said at the start of this year because I knew that I was hopeful anyway that the pandemic restrictions were easing and we're able to see friends again we're able to travel again we're able to leave our yeah. homes and do things and explore and adventure so I thought well I can't possibly I don't have the space to do all of those yeah, new adventures, new things, new experiences that I was craving if I'm still yeah. doing all of this stuff as well. So at the start of this year, I actually said, I think I said on Instagram, maybe even on this podcast, that my kind of philosophy for the year was going to be less but better. And I kind nice. of you know, I encourage people to take a piece of paper and put a line down the middle and on one side, write less and on the other side, write more and, you know, say, what, what do you want less of? You know, for me, it was less distractions, less things to do on my to do list, less busyness, less rushing from one thing to another. Right. And right. then what's on what's on the more is you know, more freedom, more space in the schedule or the diary, more long yes. phone calls, talking to friends where you don't have to I say, know, oh, I've got to right. go. Uh, yeah. More, more, more last minute invitations. If someone says, oh, you're free tomorrow. If you're always busy, you can never just do those last minute, you know, whether it's an invitation the to impulse. dinner yeah, yeah. yeah, or a spontaneous trip. So, so more living. And I think that attitude change, you know, that really, honestly, it's really impacted, you know, I know it's only... It's only uh, the spring now, but it's been such uh, a shift, really. I've really kept it going so far anyway, and Amazing. I'm really seeing the benefits of it. I'm really enjoying this this feeling of 
Yeah, it's not so much, as I said, for me at the moment, it's not so much about, I, I do want to move on to actually, hopefully clearing out things. And, and you know, I, I definitely need to donate some more books and some more clothes because I'm very, very fortunate that people often send me send me their books, uh, especially through my, my publisher. They send me books to, to read or to give a quote yeah. or comment. And then yeah, after yeah. I've enjoyed it, yeah, I can donate it to somebody else. So I need to do that. But I definitely think even if people aren't, as on board yet with the idea of living with less possessions i think the attitude shift to thinking actually we've all heard all oh, less is more it sounds cliche but when yeah. you really start to practice it it changes every it's changing everything for me 100 percent, and it's amazing that you've kind of implemented this way of living now and and that's where it, it, it kind of shifted for me is like the decluttering part was the activity the minimalism was the way of living and that's where that the transition moved from me from, yeah, I think everyone could do a good declutter. It's spring cleaning time. No, why not get rid of stuff? For a lot of people, it does stop there. And it actually the physical items around the home and around maybe in the car and on the, in the desks and things like that. For a lot of people, it can stop there. And that's fine. That's completely right. But for those of us who take it that step further and think, actually, this is a philosophy. This is a way of living, being. You open up so many opportunities it is unbelievable you get to you get to almost redesign and re, reinvent yourself as this new high definition version like i mentioned mentioned mm. earlier yeah it's very empowering and i think maybe as i'm maybe getting a bit older maybe i've got more confidence to to do this because the thing the struggle and actually i've got a question for you about what people find hard when they f first start to to do this but I just, I think from my anecdotal experience, I think where it starts to, uh, what should I say, like trip up or, or where I fall back into thinking, oh no, I need to do that or I want to do that and getting busy again, I think mm -hmm. comes from a, a feeling that if you're busy, you are in demand or maybe that means that yep. you're important or maybe that means that you you know you're, you're quote unquote successful because you've got loads going on and people will say yep. oh you know you're so busy you're smashing it so actually yeah. i think you have to really kind of look at that and go actually if i'm less busy does that mean i'm less in demand does that mean i'm less successful does that mean that i'm less uh, yeah you have to realize that it's it's a choice that's the difference is that it's a choice to say i'm going to do less work or i'm going to less events or i'm going to yeah, buy less things or consume less books, TV, whatever it is, it is a choice. And really that is, it's not always easy. Like I said, there's times where you think we all have it right with human beings. You might see someone else mm. doing something, a comparison thing. But for yeah. people in your experience, typically, if people say, okay, Chris, this sounds wicked, I'm going to give it a go. What yeah. are the hurdles that people typically could expect to, to come up against and then think, oh no, actually this is not for me? Yeah, yeah I mean, you've, you've nailed a couple straight away there um badge of honor which is the whole status symbols of being busy mm. i that is the key thing for me that i'm working with clients on at the moment is the more the busier you are the more successful you are exactly your words the more in demand the more important i am maybe that was a badge of honor in the past now my view on it is if you're busy you're borderline out of control it means you you're not being you're not able to fully be with the other person intentionally it means you're flitting around here there and everywhere what i like to call super busy which is a superhero that you don't want to dress up as in halloween right because <laughs> super busy people are always late super busy people can't listen they're not they're not listening to you to understand they're listening to you to respond so they can move you on and do the next thing 
So yeah, being busy can potentially be a bit of a red flag for the badge of honor. Um, from a practical, and that's why I always like to go like, see if you can curate your life and your work, your personal and professional life, be a curator, not a collector. Um, where people can get stuck with, definitely with the sentimental stuff that like we mentioned earlier, going straight in and dealing with loads of emotion can be uh, a little bit of a blocker because if you, if you experience negativity or think that something is really, really hard, the likelihood is you're not going to continue. So where can you gain your easy wins? And we can do one now, Adrian, if you want. And if you're, you know, your listeners can can do it as well. So if you grab your phone mm-hmm. Let me go and have a look, oh, that's my dog. <laughs> um, you can grab your phone and have a look at the apps that you've downloaded over time. You've probably got, you know, I I had maybe 100, 150 apps, wow. social media, shopping, all sorts. So the first, the easiest way into less is delete an app. You know, delete an app. It's very, very low risk because you know that if you want to download it again, you can just click a button. But actually what that kind of looks at, it looks at your, your view of the world, your digital life and go, right, what was once useful, but now maybe not so much. Yes. And if you can kind of take control and curate your home screen or your digital life, it may, then makes it a lot easier to then curate your physical life and your home environment and your work and your calendar. So have you got an app that you've just deleted by any chance? Or is there something going on in your mind that you think, I'll probably get rid of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it now. I was trying to listen to you, actually. I'm, I'm not very good at um, multitasking, so I'm easily distracted, so less is important for me. Yeah. So I was looking yes. at it, and there's definitely ones that are, I'm thinking, okay, I downloaded that app because I needed to sync it to that pair of headphones, or I downloaded that app because I needed it when I was at that event and you needed it to access this thing or whatever. So there's some yes. on here which I definitely don't need, and there's some, I'll be honest, Chris, that I don't know what they are. So there's one that I'm just clicking on now. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't even know what that happens. app is, and I really hope it's not yeah. something that I pay for. Uh, this says, yeah. yes. what does this say? I'm opening it now. You know what? I don't want to say the name of the brand in case they're like, oh no. But uh, yeah, it's loading. There's <laughs> yeah, quite a few. I reckon I could probably get rid of at least eight maybe ten so that's a kind of easy way that you can introduce yourself to the art the kind of art of curation mm. and less before yeah. taking the big step into moving physical things out of your environment right brilliant thank you chris ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So let's talk about the power hour. So the concept is very simple. I know that you know all about it. So I'd love to know. I'm very, very curious to hear what your first hour of your day is like. It's full of joy. So I get to walk my dog, Daisy, every morning. So she wakes me up about 6.45. So I don't have any 
alarms or phones in in my bedroom so she's my alarm clock and I'll generally get like a huff or a nudge or something like that or her wet nose and when it's cold that can be a bit of a, a, bit of a, a shake get out of bed um so yeah so I give I give her a her breakfast and then we go out and I'm really fortunate that there is there's some nice woods near where I'm currently living so I'm a bit of a digital nomad as well so I'd like to move around a little bit and where we're living at the moment there's some woods about a 10 minute walk away so I take her into the woods and it's so peaceful and that's where I can that's where I've listened to you uh, other podcasts sometimes you know lots of music because I'm a bit of a music fan and like you I used, you know I used to be a DJ as well maybe that's one for another podcast um, or sometimes just nothing just silence and you know I get to hang out with my best friend for an hour every morning before you know doing work and it puts me in a in, in the zone every day so um that's my power hour yeah sounds dreamy it sounds great especially at this time of year when the power hour is so beautiful i always say to people if there's ever a time to start they don't want to hear it from me in november and january but if there's ever a time to start i'm like the mornings are getting so bright and it's always quiet you know the roads are pretty quiet in fact dog walkers are the only people that i see when i'm out running in the morning uh you kind of give them a little nod and it's yeah it's really quiet and beautiful so yeah sounds like a fantastic way to start the day and a fantastic way to end the show so thank you so much chris i've really really enjoyed this oh my pleasure my pleasure and um the the interesting thing is like i said i'm just a just a normal guy and the ironic thing is people are so interested in this topic that i'll be doing a ted talk about it which is utterly bizarre Amazing. utterly bizarre and when is the ted talk got, um well it is, it is march the 20th so it might have by the time this goes out, I might have already done it. Yeah. So people can find it online, hopefully, in a, in a couple of months, you know, maybe May, June time. But yeah, I've got a huge imposter syndrome, but that's okay. And, you know, fortune favours the brave. So I'm going to be on a red, a circular red carpet talking about less. Indeed, it does indeed. So I hope it goes really, really well. And I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from hearing what you have to say. Where can people get the book, Chris? Uh, any online retailer, you can yep. go and grab that. You can also, if you want to, um, grab the first chapter for free. So you can almost try before you buy if you want to. And then once, you, once you're done with it, give it to someone else, you know, yeah. so or or maybe sell it. <laughs> maybe use a uh, a music magpie or another similar brand to um, so it doesn't clutter up your home. So yeah. So once you're done with it, feel free to give it to the library or, or, or donate it to a friend. Brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll leave a link in the show notes so that you can grab a copy. And thanks again, Chris, for joining. Take care, everyone. I'll be back next week with another episode. See ya. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.